Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are at Ephesus, who are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we come today to look at this awesome book. Father, I pray that you will help us to discern. But Father, I also pray that you will continue to open our eyes, open our hearts, let our souls experience the awesomeness of what it means to be in the body of Christ. Father, help us. Help us to have ears to hear. Help us to have eyes to see. But Father, help us to reflect the glory of you who spoke us into existence. In Christ's name, amen. Last week, I showed you a contrast between the nation of Israel and the church on like uh, metaphors to describe who we are. But there's one metaphor that was never used of Israel, that was only used of the church, and that is the body. It is the body of Christ. The body describes what the church is and the uniqueness of the church. If you think about it, a body that has any part missing is partially dysfunctional. There are certain parts of our body that we can lose and we can still function. There are other parts of our body you cannot exist if that part is not there. I mean, you can lose both of your eyes and still function. You don't last a minute without your liver. All right? So you have to be careful when we start thinking about the body of Christ, the church, and we start understanding this is a book of the riches of the body. This is a book of the inheritance of the body. This is a book of the fullness of the body. This is a book that deals with being filled in the body. Jesus Christ told us, I come to bring you life and life abundantly. Having an abundance in the church in Christ is where it all begins. What is amazing about this letter is it's unrelenting and just blasting you with both barrels. There, there, there's no place in here to kind of catch your breath. And I mean, and he starts it off just in these first two verses. Everything Paul says in verses 1 and 2 is how awesome it is to be in the body of Christ. And it's like I said, it's like both barrels. And he begins it just in the very beginning. He starts off with a double source of authority. In verse 1, we are of Christ by the will of God. I mean, that is the authority by which the church exists. He right in the beginning wants you and I and Ephesus to know the fullness of Jesus Christ and the fullness of God the Father. And he doesn't stop. He just goes through this letter that way. And, and I think that the, in a day and the age... Where, for lack of a better term, I'll just go ahead and utilize this. We have a very short attention span. And, 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 I, and I don't care who you are. I remember there was a long part of my life where I did not ride my motorcycle. 
or ride a motorcycle. I didn't have one, so you don't ride it if you don't have one. So I didn't have a motorcycle. Then I went and got one again. And when I got out and rode again, I was astonished on how much I don't pay attention when I drive. Okay, but when you get on a motorcycle, it is amazing how much attention you pay. And yet you never really think about it when you're driving. You're fiddling with the radio or you're daydreaming. You're rolling down your windows or looking in your mirrors or doing whatever you're doing. And, and you're just going through it. But that is our attention spans. You get on a motorcycle, you better not be doing that. Because everybody's going to know you weren't paying attention, were you? Okay? One of the things that is hurting the church today is that very same mentality. We have a church here in town that says it's a 29-minute message because your time is important. Really? He who spoke existence into being, you're going to give him sacrificially 29 minutes? That's awful gracious of you. Awful gracious of you. I remember sitting in a class years ago and the pastor says, you need to train your people to listen. He says, we are so used to sound bites that to have actually an expositor before them, he says, people don't know what to do with it. Paul starts this thing out and he lays right out the fullness of Jesus Christ, the fullness of God the Father, and that is the nature. I, I can't and I will keep reiterating through the whole time that we are in this book that this is a book about fullness. This isn't, we're not lacking. We're not lacking. Size has nothing to do with it. Size has nothing to do with it. God has gifted each and every one of us for a task that He's already predestined before the foundations of the world that you and I would walk in Him. And you know what? The walk of faith is one step. Yes, I would give anything if he would let me see. Can I see about two and a half months down the road? And then I decided that that's probably not a good idea either. Because then I get into daydreaming. Okay? He starts it off here, Paul. And I thought about this for a second. I thought, you know what? I could teach on the person of Paul and it would probably only take me four and a half to five months. To deal with the Apostle Paul. Mercy, what you could say about the Apostle Paul. I mean, Paul, the tribe of Benjamin. His actual name was what? Saul. There's a very well-known Benjamite named Saul. Do you know who it was? First king of Israel. Saul was named after the first king of Israel. Don't ever kid yourself. Saul of Tarsus, he grew up in a Gentile neighborhood. He became a very well-known rabbi. Very well-known. He studied under Gamali, who was top of the line. Top of the line. He also, growing up in Tarsus, allowed him access to the university. There was a university in Rome, Alexandria, Egypt, and Tarsus. So being from Tarsus, he understood the Greek culture. He understood Greek society and how it operated. He also would have been exposed 
in depth to Greek philosophy. Okay, but what was amazing about the Apostle Paul was he was also skilled in the scriptures. So this is a man that's kind of like got it all in one package. He was a member of the Pharisees. Gamali was a teacher of the Pharisees, and he studied that doctrinal line. Now, there are some who believe because Gamali was on part of the Sanhedrin. You know what that is, the Council of Seventy. Some believe that he was on the Sanhedrin also. The Apostle Paul was. I can tell you this for sure. He was a very devout Jew. Okay? And he was very devout in his anti-Christianity. And he was a leader of the anti-Christian movement in the Jewish community. Now... The reason that they believe that he might have been part of the Sanhedrin, if you remember at the stoning of Stephen, who was holding the cloaks? Okay, but he was not, if he was part of the Sanhedrin, he would not be allowed to do, take part in the actual execution. And that's why people believe that he was part of the Sanhedrin, because he was a witness to it, but he did not have, being a religious expert, was not allowed to cast the first stone or the last one for that matter. I mean, they were the ones who thought about these kind of things, but they did not want blood on their hands in case it was done to an innocent member. Funny how that works, isn't it? He was very, very intense at stopping this Christian thing. He was on his way to Damascus, on the Damascus road, to do that, to arrest Christians in Damascus. Guess what? Jesus stopped him in a way that no other man has ever been stopped. Why do you persecute me? See, we should remember that as a church. When the church is persecuted, who are they after? Christ. And I find it fascinating that the Lord of creation does not separate himself from his church. After escaping Damascus in a basket, he went and studied with his own personal tutor, for three years in the Arabian desert. You know who his tutor was? Jesus Christ. After he was trained in the desert for three years by Jesus Christ, he went to Antioch. There, he transferred his training and he pastored with other men as they were preparing to expand the gospel in Acts 13. Then... During that time that he was in Antioch with the greatest theological minds in one location, the Holy Spirit came upon the leadership and he and Barnabas were separated to take the gospel to the Gentiles. And I would argue 
that that missionary undertaking was the greatest one in the history of the church. There has never been a missionary undertaking to the caliper of Barnabas and Paul. He founded churches. He trained up church leaderships in the founding of the churches. And in the Gentile world, the gospel became more than this Jewish sect. And it turned the world upside down. By the Apostle Paul, the gospel became a worldwide, a worldwide message. And it's still, if you're a Gentile today, guess what? You're part of Paul's fruit. Alright? If you look in your book, you'll see there that he's writing to the saints at Ephesus. I'm not going to get into all the technicalities of, of this, but I want to explain to you something. The books that make up your New Testament, each of them have multiple manuscripts, and they had to to make it into the New Testament. Because in the new writing of the New Testament, it was all done by hand. Okay, You didn't have a printing press or a mimeograph machine or a facsimile or any of the other stuff. You had people who would copy it down. And so what they did to canonize the New Testament is that they have multiple copies of this letter or any letter in the New Testament. And what they would do is they would compare them and make sure that they were all the same and then they would go off. But there is one flaw in the letter to the Ephesians. Many of the manuscripts that we translate Ephesians out of do not have the phrase at Ephesus in it. It actually has a blank. That's fascinating. Now, some do. Some manuscripts have at Ephesus. But many of these texts do not have at Ephesus in it. You want to know the reason? This is good stuff. If you read through this text, and we just spent years in First and Second Corinthians, but if you read through this text, or many other texts, but this one is different than many of the others. Uh, I have friends that will ask me, they'll say, well, have you looked at Colossians? Oh, yeah. And they said, well, Colossians and Ephesians are a lot alike. Yeah. They deal with the same topic. Yeah. But there is a major difference in Ephesians than Colossians. Okay? Here it is. No local person is mentioned in this letter. No city is mentioned in this letter. No individual is mentioned in this letter. There's nothing personal. There's nothing local. And there's nothing even geographical in this letter. Now, think about that for a second. We've been through a bunch of letters. And we deal with different people. I mean, we know that in 1 Timothy, he was writing to Ephesians. Uh, Timothy was in Ephesus straightening up some messes. And you can see it listed out there, different people dealing with different things. Not so in Ephesians. It's not in there. The reason is... This letter 
is a letter about the fullness of Christ. This letter is about the whole body of Christ. I would argue that this letter is not about a local thing. This letter is to the church. All of them through all time. You literally could insert in this, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are at Castle Rock. So some of these letters have blanks. You know why? It could be passed around to other churches. Perhaps the churches in Asia Minor. Perhaps the ones that we have at Ephesus, the first letter went where? The church in Ephesus. But how do I know that it didn't go to Smyrna, Thyatira, Laodicea? Because even in Colossians, he says, when you're done reading this letter, pass it on to the Laodiceans. That's not in Ephesians. It's blank so any church could stick in their own name to the letter. This is the Apostle Paul, by the will of God, to the saints. Any church, any name. Maybe Ephesians was first. And it was copied and sent to the other churches. Because it doesn't deal with anything personal. It doesn't deal with an individual in the church. It doesn't deal with a situation in the church. It deals with the fullness that the church is. That revealing that I was speaking of. I look at this letter as Paul's message to the body of Christ. Through all time. Through all societies, through all languages, through all cultures. The dealing of the church's identity. And if you're really honest with yourself, the church today has a serious identity crisis. Listen, Paul's writing this letter and he's saying being a local group is not the issue. I'm talking about... The universal church. The bride of Christ. He calls himself an apostle. Remember what I shared with on discipleship? First you are a disciple, then you are a... An apostle. You are trained so you can be sent out. Paul had three years of tutoring. How'd you like to be in a fly on that wall? He calls himself an apostle, but he started out as a disciple. Listen, he says, states that so that people understand that this is not some guy with another opinion. Okay, this room is full of people with opinions. I have my opinions. 
Okay? I always thought that I hated deserts. I thought, why in the world would anybody want to be around the desert? Then one year in March, I went down through Page, Arizona, cut across, was on my way. <laughs> Men don't ask for directions, and we took a long distance trip to go to Los Angeles. And, but we did manage to squeeze in the Grand Canyon. I know, but it's not on the way. We know that too. <laughs> But I looked at the Grand Canyon and I was on the south rim of it and it was covered in snow. And it was awesome. So see, there's good things when men get lost. It still looks fake. I don't care what anybody says. You sit there and you look at it and you're like, gosh, it just, it just don't look real. My eyes just can't grab a hold of, what are you looking at? A ditch. <laughs> okay. From that point on, I start liking deserts. Uh, that's kind of cool. Now, I, I also went and took my daughter to college north of Los Angeles, and I went through Nevada in August. I don't like deserts that much. I went through Las Vegas and they had a temperature sign up there, and it was 110. And I thought, well, that's, that's goofy. And then I went, uh, I stopped at a restaurant over in, uh, where the heck was it? Um, Mesquite, Nevada, right there at the corner. And I sat down to eat and the waitress came up to me and she says, we got a cold front coming in. And I was like, really? She says, yeah, it's going to be in the low 100s. <laughs> You'll have to scrape the ice off your windshield, won't you? He's not a guy with an opinion. He speaks for God. He is the mouthpiece of Christ Jesus. Do we understand that? Listen, when he uses this phrase here, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, do you realize there are only 14 men in history who could call themselves apostles? Did you know that? Fourteen. See, we keep forgetting Judas was an apostle. Okay? I mean, that's what the... We just looked at that. Matthew 10. He called his disciples together, and these are who they were, the apostles of Christ. And he names all twelve of them. Okay? Judas forfeited his apostleship. They made Matthias an apostle. That would have been 13. And then you have who? The Apostle Paul. So there are 14 men in the history who can call themselves apostles. Okay. Now what I mean by that is definite article capital A. Definite article capital A. 14 could say we're apostles by the will of God. 14. Fourteen could say they were mouthpieces for Christ Jesus. Listen, I don't know about you. That's pretty special credentials if you ask me. 
truth of the matter is, that is the only credentials that were needed. See, today I can say I have been trained and I have been sent out. So I'm apostolos. But here's the deal. My credentials come by, am what I saying coming out of this book? They didn't have that. They were in the process of writing this book. See, I can hold anyone who claims to be sent out for and a spokesman for Jesus Christ. I can hold this book up to what they're saying and say, yes, he is. No, he isn't. Pretty special credentials. These men were chosen. And I shared with you in our first message is that this is something that nobody had ever seen or ever understood or ever described. This body, this church. These men were chosen for a specific time. In chapter 2, verse 20 of this letter, having been built on the foundation of the apostles... And prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. These apostles were the foundation people. I hear people right now who want to call themselves apostles. They want to call themselves capital A apostles, definite article apostles. And my argument is always the same. Aren't we beyond the foundation yet? I mean, in the book of Acts chapter 3, it says they were studying the apostles' doctrine. Why? Because it was being given to the apostles because they were speaking before Christ by the will of God. They were a part of the foundation of a creation that had never been known. And they left with the passing of that era. Why? It is done. You've been given everything you need for life and godliness. These men were scripture writers. These men gave us what is called the Apostles' Doctrine. These men spoke directly for Jesus Christ. These men spoke divine revealing. Let me tell you something you've never known. Let me tell you something you've never even comprehended. Let me tell you something that no one was even expecting. And let me tell you the foundation of which I speak. Truthfully, that's all Paul really needed for credentials. Paul wasn't really worried about where he got his degree. Or where he studied at. I wonder if he had a master's in business from Tarsus. 
But you know what? If you take a three-year degree in the desert being taught personally by Jesus Christ, what does that classify as? I mean, you can put a whole bunch of little letters down behind your name. And everybody goes, wow, look at all them letters down behind your name. But the truth of the matter is, when a person is an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ by the will of God, I don't really need any more validity to what I'm doing. There are times when I have traveled outside of this country to take the gospel to different people, different groups. And I am a sent out one, apostolon. But you can hold the book up and say if what I'm saying is true or not. And when you have people throw commentaries at you, you know at times you're true. He was an apostle by the will of God. What more do we need? The Apostle Paul, I'm an apostle by the will of God. I'm an apostle by the will of God. Not a whole lot of self-glory in that, is there? I'm an apostle by the will of God. Not a lot of vanity in that. I'm an apostle by the will of God. Not a lot of personal merit there, is there? He understood that it was all God's doing. That's it. He didn't plan it. You know, I think I'll go up to Damascus and see if I can run into Jesus sometime and become a Christian so I can become an apostle to the Gentiles. I'm not sure how long that degree will take me. Listen, he understood that it's all a work of God. He understands that he speaks for God. When I think about the Apostle Paul, there's three things that I see in his uniqueness. He had a unique call. I mean, compared to all the other apostles, his was unique. Jesus called personally the first twelve. Right? Jesus called the Apostle Paul and said, You are going to go to the Gentiles. Second, the Apostle Paul had a unique relationship to Christ. Now think about it for a second. The original disciples were with Jesus for how long? Three years. They lived together. They hung out. Okay? But you had all of the the, the quote-unquote public ministry stuff, right? Paul's relationship to Jesus Christ was for how long? Three years. Where at? In the desert. Sharing the gospel with cactus. One-on-one, day in and day out. That's why when you read Paul's writings, you see a phrase. He was a bond slave. Remember the Apostle Paul's great statement? 
it was Stephen Olford's verse that motivated his entire life. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. The Apostle Paul, all he lived for was Christ. That's it. And there was no plan B. It was all he knew to do in his entire life. But if you study with Christ in the desert for three years, and having started off on the wrong foot as a blasphemer and as a murderer of Christians, uh, yeah, he probably got that kind of point, got burned in there pretty tight. But he also had a unique commission. He was dispatched, apostolos, a sent one. He was delegated power. He was delegated the power of Christ Jesus. If you look here, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, he always uses this in his intros, unless, okay, unless there's someone else with him. He writes a letter, Paul and Silvanus. He doesn't use Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God and Savannah. If he writes with someone else, there's someone else with him. And whatever it is he's doing, it is just the names. When it is just Paul, it is always an apostle. If he includes anyone who is not an apostle, he never used the term. Which makes sense. Which makes sense. I remember uh, I was at a conference down in, uh, where was I? Albuquerque. Dr. Olford was teaching. Wayne Barber was teaching. Uh, I know knew both of them very well. And um, I had strolled in. And they both got these big Cheshire grins on their faces. And uh, they... Uh, said, that we're going to go over here and pray before the message. Dr. Olford was about to speak. He said, we're going to go over here and pray for, about the message. And I said, all right. And I said, well, you know, I'll go get my seat. Uh, I'll have a seat. And then he said, no, 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 no. Come, come, come. So we go. And this, this place was packed. And there was security, which I don't, makes me nervous. But they made security. The security guy, um, Dr. Olford was in the lead, Wayne, and then me. And the security guard stops me. He says, uh, who are you? And <laughs> little Scottish man, or little Welshman, sorry, if I call him Scottish, he'll come out of heaven and whoop me. Uh, little Welshman comes over and he says, this is my brother. Do we not look alike? <laughs> and I thought, wow, man. Yeah, I'm his brother. <laughs> He's my older brother. <laughs> and um, and I thought about that because everybody, I mean, they, these guys had their books that, the, that they were selling and all the rest of it. I ain't got no books. Um, and I thought, you know what? That is it. That is the body of Christ. That is it. That is it. 
And they never look, the true ones never look as anything special. Peter wrote his letter, he says, I write to the elders as a fellow elder. But that's the Apostle Peter. I mean, that's, you know, he's the dude who got out of the boat. He's the dude whose mother-in-law was healed. That Peter. But he says, no, I write to you as a fellow elder. He only uses the term apostle when he is by himself. In every case that he is by himself and he mentions himself, he is an apostle. You know why? How many questioned what he was doing? I mean, the original 12 can say, you know what? We hung out. People saw us in Galilee together. People saw us in Judea together. People saw us in Samaria together. They saw us in Galilee together. They know who we are. This guy persecuted us. And now he calls himself an apostle? You really think about it. Because of his previous time before Jesus Christ's intervention on the Damascus Road, the only people that would listen to him would have been the Gentiles. Because the Jewish people hated him. Why? He left. He went after the very thing that he condemned. And now he's a follower. Many would have questioned. He wasn't one of the original twelve. How could he be an apostle? I mean, Matthias, we can say, all right, well, Judas killed himself. All right, we got that part done. Matthias was there. He witnessed it. We'll go with Matthias. But let me give you a verse and I'll close it with this. We've looked at it in depth. I won't look at it in depth today. 1 Corinthians 9. Verse 1, am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus, our Lord? Brothers and sisters, that's the qualifier. If you want to be definite article, capital A, apostle, you have one hoop that you have to get through. You must see the resurrected Lord. Okay, But then you'll have to ask yourself the second question. Why would he be getting the foundation again? We've seen that. That's what Jehovah's Witnesses are. New foundations. That's what the Mormons are. New foundations. Paul reinforces his testimony by saying, I am an apostle of Jesus Christ. He also uses Christ Jesus. 
all the other writers of the New Testament use Jesus Christ. You know, and this is purely speculation on my part. I believe because they knew him as Jesus first, then Messiah. Paul constantly over and over will use Christ Jesus. Because he knew him first as Messiah and Savior. And if you don't want to believe that, fine, we'll ask him when we see him, okay? Brothers and sisters, this is an awesome book. But you've got to keep in mind the fullness of the riches in its abundance that has been lavished upon every single one of us. And it should just make us irresistibly obnoxious. Because we've got something that everybody in the world desperately needs. And it has been lavished upon each of us. The ministry of the church and the body of Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the Apostle Paul. Um, Father, as I said, both barrels. Thank you. Thank you for this book of riches. Thank you for this book of fullness. Thank you for life abundantly. Thank you for being filled. Thank you for the abundance in the church that is in Christ. Wow, Lord. Help us to have ears to hear. But Father, help us to stand in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Help us to be overwhelmed by your being. Help us to be overwhelmed by what you've already done. And in all humility, may we bow before you, understanding, wow, we are children that make up the body of Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is our head. Thank you, my Lord, my Savior, in Christ's name. Amen.